All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show. A men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Jonathan Decker and Alan Seawright. Cinema Therapy is a hit YouTube channel in which a licensed therapist and a professional filmmaker explore what hit movies can teach us about life, love and mental health. Jonathan Decker is a licensed marriage and family therapist and clinical director of Mended Light, a trauma-focused counselling clinic. Alan Seawright is a director, writer, editor, producer and CEO of Telekinesis Entertainment. And in this interview, we discuss the use of films to inspire, educate and motivate change, great character examples, the bond between the guys, cinema therapy and so much more. And now let's get to the interview. Thank you both so much for coming on. Um, I'm a major fan of cinema therapy, but for people who maybe don't recognize your names, could you give a quick introduction? I know you're probably sick of giving this. Uh, I'm Alan Seawright, professional filmmaker, and I need therapy. And I'm Jonathan Decker. I'm a licensed therapist who loves movies. Oh, I just got chills. It's like I've listened to so many it's, videos. It's weird seeing it said to me, but in the background, it's, <laughs> and it's weird for us because we're just like middle-aged dads that we have fans who are like, "Say the thing, say the thing." <laughs> <laughs> so, what is cinema therapy, and who's it aimed for? Uh, cinema therapy is a YouTube show where we analyze films. Uh, through the lens of our licensed therapist, Jonathan, who uh, helps us break down sort of lessons that you can take away from films and movie characters to improve your life. Did I do a good job, Jono? You did a good job. And I would add Alan is the – I like to say he's the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down because, uh, one, he's very sweet. Two, he uh, he's the emotional heart of the show. I mean, he And, and then three, he breaks down the filmmaking. And people like to geek out about the filmmaking stuff, the writing, the direction, uh, you know, the color, the use of color, the stunts, all of these sort of things. So I'm definitely the medicine. And uh, fortunately, I'm not, I don't think at least, a boring old fuddy-duddy. And so at least the medicine doesn't taste bad. You're like, you're like grape-flavored medicine and then <laughs> I'm the a sugar on vitamin. top of it. There you are. Oh, man. We're chocolate-covered Flintstone vitamins is what our show is. <laughs> now you're talking. It's... Oh, jeez. <laughs> So That's why, our new why, tagline. It sure is. <laughs> so why why did you go for films? Like why why was that the medium you picked to analyze? Uh, honestly, that was that was Jonathan's idea. He when he says he's a licensed therapist who loves movies, he loves movies more than I do, and I made it my profession. <laughs> that's that's a hundred percent serious. Uh, like I know. this guy has it's a. It's a borderline mental illness, his <laughs> love for and devotion to cinema and, and movie watching. 
We'll put uh, that in the DSM six. Cinephilia. <laughs> yes, cinephilia. <laughs> uh, and that's so. It was actually the whole show was Jonathan's idea. He uh, called me and and pitched me the show, and it took um, it, it took him one and a half sentences for me to go yes in my head, and he finished another sentence and a half. So about three sentences in, I interrupted him and said, "I know exactly what this show is. I'm in. Let's mm-hmm. do it." Yeah. We're generally pretty in sync in life, but I think that's the most in sync we've ever been. Oh, it was, it was unreal. It like, it was like, I felt tingles. Like I've connected (laughs) with a human on a subatomic level. Cause it certainly Uh, comes across in your thumbnails. You know, some of them, it's like between the line between business partners and potential lovers and, you know, some, some some of them, I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, there is there's definitely a strong bromance. Uh, we For we have sure. no people people ship us all the time. We have no problem with that. People think we're gay all the time. We have no problem with that. Uh, it's not it's not accurate, but like it's cool. Um, have you had any? Have you had any fans writing you any sort of uh, stories about you? I I haven't seen any slash fic yet. Uh... <laughs> But I, it, listen, <laughs> it's coming. If it, if it doesn't already exist, it's coming eventually. The darkest corners of the web have some erotic fanfic going on. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but there's definitely a lot of love between the two of us. Um, For sure. And always has been. And do you think that's a big part of why it's been so successful? Because you've got the therapist sort of analysis, then you've got the film lovers overview, but you've got that connection, that friendship between the two of you and the in-jokes and the, the bond that you have. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think you summed it up. Yes, correct. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, we'll take no, that box. <laughs> no, it, I think a huge part of the appeal of the show is, you know, having Jonathan be, frankly, a world-class expert at what he does and having me pretend to be a world-class expert at what I do, <laughs> both good. Uh, I, we provide insights. You know, we're both relatively funny. But I think what really gets people coming back is, and, and we get comments about this all the time. You know, people just love seeing two dudes like bro down and love each other in a, in a healthy way. Like we get that all the time for people that they're just so happy to see, you know, brotherly love shown in a way that is, is positive. Because it definitely comes across in that, like you, you're both vulnerable, you're both open. You, you know, you you talk about things that a lot of people would rather hide. They would rather just say, "Oh, I'm not weak at all. Oh, I don't need therapy." You know, and it's the fact mm. that you use that as your tagline. I need therapy, and you know, you have got you've got no issues with being emotional on the show and things like that. And it, it really comes across as two people who are there to help others. You're not just there to to play a character. So, like when I yeah. first started the you know, the site, I looked at film characters and looked at how I could get better by becoming the film character and then use that in my own life. So was there people who you looked at when you were younger and thought, that's who I want to be like, you know, was it like Superman, Batman? Was there some inspiration when you were kids? Yeah, I mean, Alan already knows my answer to this. It was definitely Superman, but very specifically Christopher Reeves' Superman. Mm. Uh I'm I'm a moderate Superman fan overall, but as far as like the first two Chris Reeves movies are really foundational for me because um, he's very powerful and also very kind and very selfless and very honest and decent. And that's I once had a my my son was 
was violent with his siblings over and over and over again. And I do not think there's a causal link between film violence and real life violence. That said, it was a fairly, it was a pretty solid consequence because he loves superhero movies and stuff that he wouldn't get to watch anything with fighting in it as long as he was fighting in real life. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. bad guys. Someone tries to kidnap you. It's a different story. But like, you don't punch your sister in your face because she in the face because she looked at you funny. And we were trying to track down a superhero movie that didn't have any fighting in it. And literally, the only one we could find was the very first uh, Superman film with Christopher Reeves because he literally spends the entire movie just helping people, and it's mm-hmm. super cool. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so Jonathan has you know the paragon of virtue. Uh, my childhood <laughs> idols were – I don't know if you know this, John. So Han Solo, obvious, is – I knew that one, yeah. Yeah, because that's half of my persona. Uh, Han Solo and Indiana Jones, very much so. The the other ones that I really sort of modeled my behavior after, and, and this is why I had to learn and grow and I need therapy. Uh, Martin Riggs from the Lethal Weapon movies and Mad Max. <laughs> that's nice. a combination. <laughs> so yeah, you put those four characters together and that was pretty much me until right around the time I met Jonathan and, uh, I had a well, lot of rebuilding threw, to do. Well, you threw Malcolm Reynolds in the mix there later on the end, uh, from, from Firefly, but yeah, for well, sure. Malcolm Reynolds is Han Solo plus Mad Max. That's kind of who he is anyway. Valid. Totally valid. You had, uh, Martin Riggs. Does he not torture the therapist in the first one when he's sitting just driving her crazy every day? Telling uh-huh. her, oh, we cannot be together, and no, oh, don't be, you know, I don't want to date you and all that. And she's screaming at him to go get help. <laughs> yep. That Alan was, has. That was very much me. I've made well, a lot and... of progress. I've learned to grow. <laughs> well, you've literally done that to at least one therapist from what you've told me. Correct. Yes. I. <laughs> yep. You're going to help me. You're, you want to help me, and I'm going to make you suffer for it. And. <laughs> <laughs> there's your tagline i like it <laughs> so why do you think films you know why why do they create such like emotion and shock and on because I've, I've read up about cinema therapy you know and how it's going to how it helps people but why, why do films create such emotion and kind of enjoyment and how can they you know they transform us and inspire what is it about it do you think is it the imagery is it the the character arcs is it the joseph campbell hero journey <clears throat> Uh, all of the above it is hundreds of people who are very smart working very hard for years at a time to do exactly those things uh the whole point of a movie is to make you feel stuff enough that you want to give somebody you know ten dollars or however many euros a film a movie ticket is in in europe um but uh yeah it's it's look it's all calculated man it's a magic trick (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're all here trying to take money out of your wallet and make you feel a thing. That's it. Well, and then that speaks to what are the motives of the creative team, and it can vary from person to person, and even within the same person, different motives across time. Some pe- for some people, it's definitely, you know, I want to make people feel things and take their money for it, and fortune and glory, kid, fortune and glory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at other cases, like we just watched Encanto for an upcoming episode, and we had a conversation about there are, there are definitely – screenwriters and filmmakers who are using their gifts yes to make money yes as a livelihood but you can't watch Encanto or Coco and not see a team of people who are trying to do something good that helps people I mean it's just it's just right there on the surface of it 
Well, and just look at Steven Spielberg, you know, about half of his movies are just populist. Like I'm going to make a thing that's really fun. And part of the reason is I want a thing that's fun to exist in the world. And the other part of the reason is I think I can get a billion dollars from it. And yeah. the other half mm -hmm. of his movies are, I don't care how little money this makes. This is an important story that must be told. And I'm the best one to do it. Yeah. And that's one so guy doing those two different, wildly different things. He does. He does kind of approach it like one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. You know? Yeah, but they're all for um, him. That's the crazy part. <laughs> Um, do you to, see and that? Your, to, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, sorry I was going to say, question, uh, do you see that changing? Like, do you see that becoming modern day films rely more on CGI and bangs and explosions and less story, less kind of as a story that needs to be told? Uh, I think that's a that's a consequence of studios being owned by giant multinational corporations that are focused on the bottom line, uh, and when you have a bottom line focus. If you're going to invest money, you invest it in the things that have the highest likelihood to make the most money, and that's blockbusters, right? Mm -hmm. Blockbusters, generally speaking, uh, you know, over the last 40 years, uh, lots of sci-fi, lots of action, uh, lots of fantasy. Those are the things that people show up for in the millions, um, and so that's what companies focus on. I don't think it's necessarily that that's what the filmmakers are focusing on. It's that that's what filmmakers can get financed by the big studios. Now <clears throat> you go outside of big studios and you look at, you know, independent film or smaller studios, particularly outside of the U S outside of the Hollywood system. And you get a huge variety of things and it's very, you know, character focused, important story focused. But Ian, if I if I can say two things really quick, one backpedaling to your earlier question about mm -hmm. why cinema is so powerful uh, from a clinical perspective, uh, cinema therapy or the concept of using movies to supplement therapy has been around for decades. I, I didn't come up with the mm -hmm. idea. Right. Um, I, I capitalized on the idea. And I also um, I there are people who can create better content, do better research than I can. Uh, there's not a lot of people who can present it better than I can. I've been to a million presentations where I've been like, I could never come up with this. I don't have the brain to come up with something this brilliant or to find or discover something this brilliant, but the presentation is boring as hell and it's killing me. And I just want to take it and, and, <laughs> and I want to take it and translate it into a way that it's easily digestible. So people yeah. see how powerful it is. Cause sometimes the power is lost in the presentation. Right. Um, and so that's the the power of cinema to me is here we have these abstract concepts and actually seeing them play out makes them real and and makes them powerful. Uh, and so that's that's the kind of the clinical answer to that question. And then your what you brought up about are we too focused on blockbusters and are we too focused on special effects? And Alan, I'd love your thoughts on this, but it seems to me like we're in a different era than we were growing up, meaning theatrical was everything when we were growing up. And if it was direct to video, that was a, that was a, a, it was a terrible, was terrible movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And now I, I, Ben Affleck said recently that he thinks in, in the near future, theaters are really only going to show blockbusters, which I think is the sad truth, unless you're in a major city with the art house cinema, but yep. we do have a new frontier of streaming where you're getting a lot of low to mid budget, very well directed, very well written, very well performed stuff. And it can find an audience very quickly. In fact, maybe even better than the theater system because people, even in the 90s, didn't go out in droves for indie films, whereas they might get right. something a shot from their couch. Yeah. I think this is a, 
the thing is like there's so much money getting thrown about just now and people are saying well that made money let's just stick to that you know let's stick to that script let's go for that you know like the marvel films the john wick movies it's like let's not deviate and try this um apologies if i cut you off there originally no this is the problem with two people sometimes it's like i think they're finished and i'm about to jump in and it's and I hate when you listen to a podcast and people are cutting off the other person. So I, <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing. It's like, that's what I love about your show is you, you're just back and forth between each other. And there's that, you know, you, you both go from your side of the, the expertise. Do you think that's something that you both are so good at is that you can take like, um, very extensive concepts and break them down and explain them in layman terms and make it fun and make it, you know, enjoyable? Uh, I do think that that's a gift that we both have. Uh, you know, Jonathan already said he's an exceptional presenter. And, and John wasn't tooting his own horn enough. He is an exceptionally good presenter. Like he's taking yeah. really complicated concepts and breaking them down and, and generally making them fun and funny, um, which you. is not, you know, I, I've been working for a long time with doing that. Like that's my job. Most of what I've done is, uh, commercials and then like corporate films where you're trying to teach people stuff and it's incredibly maddening. I, I wish I could have just had Jono do everything for my whole career. <laughs> um, but, uh, thanks man. So he's, he's very good at that. I, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty good as a sort of, I don't think I'm as good as Jonathan, but that's, totally fine. Um, but yeah, taking, taking those concepts and breaking them down. What was the question? (laughs) (laughs) The question is, (laughs) that was brilliant right there. (laughs) I think, I mean, I think that's something that I like about it is like, I, when I seen your show, I got like jealous as hell because you both had this way of taking these amazing concepts and teaching and educating but making it fun, making it enjoyable. Yeah. Cause when I started podcasting, I was like, so what's your name? Like, you know, there was no emotion. There's no passion. Sure. Even now I, I'm like a serial killer. You know, I, I just come across as kind of without emotion. And I love that kind of back and forth. And I never came away from an episode with you guys thinking, ah, you know, that wasn't so good. I learned so much about myself and other people and the world. And so how is it just come naturally? Do you think, or is this something you both worked on? Uh, my opinion and my opinion is Alan has a particular knack when it comes to filmmaking and, and to the artistry of it that you don't if you don't hook people and I don't mean just like with a hook. I mean, emotionally and with humor, then you lose them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the reason I present the way I do is because this is how I learn. If I'm if I'm not entertained into learning something, then either I won't learn it or it will take me a long, painful time to learn it. And then I'll be like, Oh, there's such a better way to do this. Um, and then I think it helps that even though we're both experts in our, you know, in our respective fields, we understand enough of each other's world to have a cross dialogue that mm-hmm. it's not just like, okay, now Alan's going to do his thing. And then the gear shift and now John does his thing. Uh, as Alan mentioned, I, I love cinema. And so even though I'm not in the industry, I, I know, I have an encyclopedic memory of movie quotes is what he likes to say. Yep. Uh, it's and, frightening. And then, and then Alan, even though Alan uh, hates academia, which 
to his defense, I'm not a huge fan of it either. I mean, I'm a huge mm -hmm. fan of the good it does in the world, but I'm not a huge fan of like the culture of it. Correct. Yep. Um, <clears throat> Alan is very well read. So even he says, I need therapy. And he talks freely on the show that he's been to therapy, but he's also done a lot of work on himself and also just knows a lot about the world in general. And so when I talk about psychological terms, I'm generally not talking to someone who goes, huh, what does that even mean? And so I think that helps a lot. Yeah. Well, and I know just enough about those things that uh, I can sometimes spot when Jono's drifting into <clears throat> professional land a little bit and I can either bring him yeah. back or I can make a joke out of explaining the the thing <laughs> that he yeah. just said. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Jono does the same thing for me as well. It's, we ended up with a really good dynamic. And I think that a lot of that, like, <clears throat> I'm going to speak for you, Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan has a background as a performer and uh, particularly performing comedy. Uh, I have a performing and then a directing background, which is a performance of its own. You're trying to get, you know, emotion out of people. Um, and between the two of us, we both we haven't had to do an awful lot of work to get our rapport to work on the show, but we brought, you know, decades worth of work into that. Well, from our stage. lives and then a, what a 15 year, 15, 16 year friendship when we started the show. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of back history there. There's also, you, you brought up earlier, Ian, um, you know, our, our rapport and our friendship, it's very real. There's a lot of love between us. There's also, you know, like any friendship, there's, there's strain sometimes and there's conflict and there's disagreement. And so there's two things. Mm -hmm. There's been a couple of times where we like, we've been like, well, we got to figure this out because we can't fake it on camera. Like the regard that we have for each other. So we, so <laughs> yeah. we have to work through our shit. Number one. <laughs> and number two, we're up here preaching healthy relationship skills. So we should probably put those to use to work through some things. And to so be I, fair, don't, I don't, Jonathan can't fake it. I can totally fake the report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That, there have been times when we were going to, when we were going to have a sh uh, shoot and I'm like, we need to resolve this before we shoot. And you're like, I'm fine. Like we can resolve it after I can, I'm a professional. I'm like, I'm not, I will just be sitting there making that. I'll be making dagger eyes at you. And like, there'll be no report. And I'll, and I'll I, just be like, Oh, Jono. Wow. What an insight. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and so I don't want to give the impression that we have this magical, effortless friendship. Relationships take work. Healthy yeah. relationships take work. I, I think we have a very healthy relationship, but it's not it's not without the labor. It's that not that all takes. sunshine and roses. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes it more beautiful, actually. Like I think the the stuff that we've passed through together has actually solidified that bond more than if we were just two bros who had just enjoyed some good times once in a while. Yeah, for sure. And do you think then that this is something like that, like films could change everybody. Is it a possibility that any film could inspire or do you have to kind of come into it knowing? I mean, I've done CBT, I've had depression, I've used antidepressants and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I found films were one of the few things that really inspired me and motivated me to change depending on which film I was. You know, like this, like Fight Club, for example like the fact that you could create a alter image and try to become it. And, you know, all these kind of like limitless, for example, you know, this kind of mm -hmm. thing, like blew my mind that you could be like that. But do you think that there's, you have to come in wanting to change? You have to be on the start of that journey or can you be motivated to change from a film? Uh, I think a little bit of both. There are, 
movies that so every movie speaks to every person differently right like a common aphorism in the industry is every movie is someone's favorite movie you know, meaning like no matter how bad a film you made, someone out there is going to watch it and go, wow, that's my favorite movie ever. And yeah. no one, no one that worked on it believes them, you know? Um, <laughs> so that's, that's a common thing. So, so every movie has the potential to, to be that sort of lightning in a bottle moment for someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most people at some point in their lives will be receptive enough going into a movie that even if it's not a lightning in the bottle type movie for them, if they're feeling receptive, they can do that. And then I think John is going to get to sort of the point of our channel, which is. Uh, oh, I feel like you set me up for something and I don't know what my line is. Oh this no, is like your, worst... your line is, yeah, this is your worst nightmare. The, uh, <laughs> that, you know, what we do is, is educate people on being receptive. Oh yeah. No, I totally knew that. I was just, uh, you know, you were making you sure to, I knew. Yeah, yeah. Giving yeah. you a chance to shine. No, it's the the whole the whole being receptive <clears> to <throat> movies is a lot like being receptive to to people. Um, that there are very few perfect films. There are even fewer perfect people. Uh, and my I'm a much more optimistic person by nature than Alan is. Uh, even though True. that that and <laughs> but and also he's a lot more um, critical when it comes to films. I see the same flaws that he does. Not all of them because he's got a better eye for it, but I see a lot of the same flaws. They just don't matter as much to me because I'm like, yeah, I'm watching a movie. Wee. And, uh, but I think that's a, that's a healthy way to approach people. I think we, we all need, um, not all of us, <laughs> but I think a lot of us need more understanding, especially if we're going to change. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of channels out there that make their buck, like ripping t- films to shreds and having a cheap laugh at their expense. And don't get me wrong, some of them are very witty, and I enjoy a lot of them. Sure. Um, but there, I noticed just a major lack, I, I think, of cinema, cinema wins, and I can't think of any others whose real a, existence is... Yeah, there's only a couple of other channels that really get out there and celebrate sort of great cinema. You know, like yeah. every frame of painting even, did it, but then he gave up. Yeah, well, and cinema wins, like, or even some films that are, like, not that amazing but like what can we find in here that's still good right uh which is why people are sometimes taken aback at how vicious our twilight episodes are and the simple <laughs> fact is we need we need catharsis as much as anybody and we saw we saw we saw in there an opportunity to like roast something while still doing something helpful and yeah. people have told us those episodes inspired them to leave an abusive relationship right to recognize it for what it was and yeah. so uh and then of course we've had uh twihards who i had someone yesterday who just commented that my license should be no, that I should get my tuition money back for my psych degree because I don't understand twilight. And I got, wow. I got, I got, I got snarky. You got, I got salty, salty, didn't you? I, I, I replied, you know, I tried on those very grounds and it was a no go. I mean, <laughs> apparently that was written for Henry Cavill and he was, he was quite horrified when he got asked, you know, what, what do you think about that? And he was like, um. Yeah, let's not yeah. go into that. Like, she saw young Henry Cavill in Count of Monte Cristo, and that was her Edward in her mind. Really? Yeah. Wow. My respect level for Henry Cavill has—I didn't think it was possible to go up higher, but it just did. Uh, he was—he was just sitting horrified, like you know. It's just again, I, I think that's the impression nowadays, though, is you get a lot of films where 
it's popular because it's popular. Like everybody likes it. Yeah. So everybody like, and the Twilight films were creepy. You know, like the just. But I like the way you you do talk. You do rip them. You take the piss, as the British would say, sure. out of things. But you give an explanation of why it's not right and what it means and how if this is in your life how you could change and i think that's you do that fantastically and your thumbnails are fantastic you know thank you i, I love those, how you those were on twilight team thumbnails only. are are largely alan's well the thumbnails are always alan's wife megan is making them but like the ideas for those thumbnails are almost exclusively her and she knocked those out of the park time and time and time again because that's something i do like about the show is you're not afraid to go through, like, you know, into PTSD, imposter syndrome, depression, all the dark stuff. Sure, Whereas yeah. a lot of channels will just go, oh, yeah, look at, we've interviewed very fluff piece with so-and-so, and we've asked them three questions, and nothing more challenging than what's your name, you know. But you guys go into it in depth. How do we deal with films that touch on the dark side? You know, where we're actually thinking we dislike a character. Is that an indication that's part of ourselves we dislike? Is that the kind of, you know, what do we do when we note characters? Like, how should we analyze films when we cry, when we laugh, and when we see a dark a dark theme that we're kind of, we're struggling against? Is it a way, how would you advise us to watch the films and analyze it and go from there? I know that was that, about 50 questions, but that's a hundred percent you, Jonathan go. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's one right answer to that. I think there are various ways to analyze films and they're all valid. I, I like to say the phrase, watch movies with your brain turned on and people say, well, that's the point. I like to turn my brain off and enjoy the show. And I, and I get the relaxation component of, of films. I'm not talking about like nitpicking plot points. I'm talking about mm -hmm. uh, what, what is this telling me about humanity? And what is this telling me about human nature? What is this telling me about my life? And also, I, just because it's on screen doesn't mean I'm going to accept it as a valid source of information. And so I'm talking about thinking critically about the about the films we watch uh, in, in terms of life application. If there is a character you dislike, it could be because the character was made to be dislikable and they may have nothing to do with you. Uh, I, I find Bill Paxton in True Lies intensely dislikable and very entertaining, but I yeah. also don't really relate to him. Uh, you know, maybe that says I, I dislike people who are homewreckers. Okay. <laughs> maybe there's something <laughs> deeper there. Sure. Uh, but but I, I do think there's other times uh, like Steve Carell in the office in the American version of the office. I, I realized I was having a problem with him because there are certain things about him that reminded me of me. And that was one of the worst days of my life. Because <laughs> it's something you do see on social media. People saying the thing you dislike in others is a thing you hate about yourself. And I'm thinking, yeah, but no, the character, the character might be just be written to be a yeah. dick. You know, it it's not sometimes yeah, I don't, true. Doesn't I don't, mean always true. But. Right. I don't dislike Walter White because I'm secretly cooking meth and murdering people. I dislike Walter White <laughs> because he does the biggest heel turn in in you know like film history that being said fascinating and brilliantly done absolutely love watching it not a character that i want to emulate in any way and yeah so yeah i mean is that something we should act as if like we should pretend to be the character or should we look at the characters and think what are they doing that's good and adopt these sort of habits into our own lives the first then the second uh, I yeah. think we experience 
we experience things vicariously through the characters. Um, so sometimes we need to have a good cry and we cry with the characters. Sometimes I definitely, um, you know, Rocky Balboa came out five days before my mom died. And that whole film is about a father and a son whose wife and mother has died. And they're dealing with the fallout from that. I mean, it's only, it's only on the fringes about boxing. Like it's, it's probably my favorite of that whole franchise came out five days before she died. And I didn't know she was going to die. And then after she passed, like two weeks later, once the funeral was done, I took my dad to see that film, even though it was very on the nose and in that case could be considered triggering. And it was a very healing experience for us. A lot of the messaging and a lot of the, the things that the characters are going through were very similar to our own journey. Uh, and so we we watch films and we I, you can watch Fight Club, you can watch Walter White and you can experience things vicariously. And sometimes it's a warning. Yeah. Right. And you don't need to learn that lesson the hard way because you saw how it played out on screen. Uh, whether or not you should emulate a character, I think, is up to your judgment. Right. The, that's why I say watch movies with your brain turned on because you don't want to emulate. Char- I love James Bond, which is ironic because I'm a healthy relationships guy. Love James Bond. Would never mm-hmm. emulate James Bond because uh, I watch right. those with my brain turned on and say, well, this is fun escapism. I wish I lived in a world where bullets couldn't touch me and gorgeous women threw themselves at me and there were no consequences and I could and I could save the world over and over and just be a total badass. Uh, but I because I th- I watch it critically because I'm not going to treat women yeah. like that. You don't yeah. live in that world because it's a fantasy world. Yeah, exactly. It's, I I think to to boil that down, uh, empathizing with characters is a thing that you should always do. The the more anyone can practice empathy, the better. And you know, cinema is a is a like no consequences way to practice empathy, right? Yeah. Whether or not you emulate is, you know, fully up to like what you want to get out of your life. But I, empathy should not be optional. <laughs> yeah. It is something like, I mean, I used to do where if I was bored at work, I'd pretend to be Jack Bauer trying to defuse a nuclear war, you know, <laughs> try to get a report written in time or something like that, you know, or I would, <laughs> If I was in the gym, I'd pretend I was Rocky training like montage for a fight or something. You know, like, and mm. I think sometimes people do. I think you and this... I are clones because I've done a, those two things exactly. Because it does get to that point where you're just like, you know, I need somebody <clears> to come <throat> in here shooting just now to, you know, I need a bomb to go off to kind of get this a bit more exciting. But <laughs> it's, I, th- I don't know, it's, it's difficult because. Is it that the point where, you know, we're using it for escapism to allow you to have, to get away from your, you know, just to enjoy the two hours away from your daily life? Or is that a sign that you're needing more? You know, how how should we deal with watching films that start making us think about our lives? You know, do we journal it? Do we start thinking about it? At what point do you start thinking, I need to take action? I mean, look, even even things where it's fantastical, there's there's truth to it. And so you fantasize about being Jack Bauer. So did I. That didn't necessarily mean that I wanted to combat terrorists and stand, mm-hmm. you know, test my resolve against torture. Uh, it, but it might mean you need more excitement in your life or it might mean that watching that show was the excitement in your life. And then you're fine. You know, for all we all we dump on Twilight, uh, we we say repeatedly in all those episodes, if it's your escape is fun, go for it. You know, if you're watching Twilight and you and the story appeals to you and you think I would love to have two gorgeous guys fighting over me and I'd love to exist in a world of vampires and werewolves and this is trashy fun, that's great. Yeah, we cannot, as James Bond fans, trash people who love Twilight the way we love James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's that, that would be deeply hypocritical. 
Like I used uh, to do pickup when I was younger. You know, I, I fell into that market, and I was like, people are like, act like James Bond, and you'll get all the girls. And I was thinking, no, because if you did that, you'd be done for sexual harassment. You'd be up in court. <laughs> you know, it's. But I love the confidence things that he does, the the style, the the mannerisms. Mm-hmm. The, you know, so there's parts of a character you can take, but it's trying to have that part of like, how do you analyze a character? How do you get to that point? You know, how do you look? Because people would argue that films are portraying masculinity in a bad way. You know, unless you're built like The Rock, unless you're built like uh, Chris Hemsworth as Thor. You know, you're a, you're a sub character. You're not like the the leading man. Are we are films nowadays creating masculinity to be? You have to be big and strong, and if not, you're a you're a big character. More in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was worse in the eighties, and then we kind of got away from it a bit in the nineties. I think Die Hard was a big influence on on moving away from that because Bruce Willis in Die Hard is you know he's still Bruce Willis. He looks like a movie star, but he was not some big hulking tank either. He was kind of a regular guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I look that the body image stuff goes in cycles. The defining what masculinity is and what it can mean, uh, I think has actually been slowly improving Mm -hmm. in, Mm -hmm. if you take film portrayal as an aggregate, I think it's getting healthier. Um, it wouldn't hurt if we went faster, (laughs) but yeah, you know, but we have, we have, a. Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna go spoilers for 20 seconds. If anyone's listening and hasn't seen Spider-Man: No Way Home, you're one of the few people on the planet who hasn't seen it. But what a what a wonderful example there. My favorite moment in that film is when they're like, when she says no, when Mary Jane says no, let's or MJ says let's let's kick some ass, and then they go heal that ass. Yeah, let's heal that ass. You know, and that the whole mission <laughs> yep. of the heroes is to is to help. Um, mm. I think it's, I thought that was super cool. I, Alan talks about Ted Lasso all the time. Uh, I like the show The Rookie with Nathan Fillion. Um, I wish there were more cops like that in real life because his his skill is de-escalation. His skill is empathy, and that's what makes him a good cop. Um, I, I love to see more of that in the media because Spider-Man still kicks ass, you know, but it's it's kind of a – Okay, you can be strong, but true heroism isn't kicking ass. True heroism is using you know great power because great responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that's that's a well, another conversation for another day. But I think that's a big issue for for of the Snyderverse for Alan and I is there's a lot of yeah. impotent male rage. Because <laughs> yeah, yep. I mean, I definitely agree. Like people are saying, oh, it's all dumbed down now, and it's all about bangs, and you've got to be built like a brick shit house, and all this kind of stuff. And a brick that... shit house—that's awesome. We don't say shit house enough here. We you have should. brick. That... We have brick house, like that old was that Rick James song. But like, we need. We, I'm gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> you don't hang out more. with enough people from Boston, man. Everyone. <laughs> you know, but I mean, that's the thing. It's like characters nowadays actually have personalities. They're more 3D. They've actually got flaws. They've got like believable real you know motivations they're not just taking over the world why uh because it's written in the script you know they've actually got you can almost look at them and think he's got a bit of justification his methods might be off but i do agree with like thanos you know like there's certain characters you go yeah i wouldn't need much to convince me to join his side you know it's yeah well and and to your point i think you know we, we talk about like 
is the masculine ideal Thor. And frankly, aside from you have to be, you know, a Chris Hemsworth giant bodybuilder guy, like if you look at Thor's character through sort of the infinity saga, uh, his character goes through an awful lot and completely breaks down and falls apart and is vulnerable and is happy to be vulnerable with his fellow Avengers. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's also Mm -hmm. not dealing with things very well in Endgame. He's drinking a lot, but like he's, he's also just constantly, you know, willing to put his feelings out in a way that, you know, sometimes it's played for laughs, but it's also very obviously played as sincere. Yeah. And I don't know if you know that guy in real life, but I know a bunch of that guy in real life who are, you know, these big, strong, super like hyper masculine guys who will, uh, you know, cry at the drop of a hat and give you a big hug and, and, you know, just super gentle, loving souls, but they just look like a brick shit house, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Cause it is something that's like, you know, we're, we think if I nowadays, ever go into wrestling, that's going to be my name, by the way, <laughs> brick shit house. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, cause that's the thing. Isn't it? It's like people go, Oh, nowadays uh, to be a man, you've got to be strong. You've got to be big. And you're like, no, you know, it's it's just idiotic that we still think that. Well, I mean, strength has many forms, you know, and there's there's big muscular strength. But the uh, what we're mm-hmm. seeing more and more of, which I which I applaud, is a type of moral strength, mm-hmm. uh, a type of integrity that what makes these stories heroic. And we, for example, we see it in uh, in Wonder Woman, um, the first one. I'm not super crazy about the second one, but I'm I'm a big fan of the first one. That her strength was. Yes, physical, but more it was it was character, it was integrity, mm-hmm. it was compassion is what made her strong. Because the fact is, doing the right thing is not boring, and it's not um, doing the right thing is exceptionally hard. And it's it's powerful to see characters who struggle with it and then get there. I think that's one of the reasons Tony Stark resonates so much. Um, yeah, and, and it's powerful to see characters who try to do the right thing and it seems to make things worse, which I think it's why Peter Parker resonates so much, you know? Yep. Uh, and, and so there's, I, 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 going back to Chris Reeves, you know, we had that and I don't know why we didn't have a thousand imitators of that. Cause that was beautiful that yeah, his superpowers were super cool. But even as a kid who you think would be fixated on superpowers and all, and his laser vision and that he could catch a helicopter with one arm, like I came away with how he would salute people that he had just saved or how he would smile and ask if they're okay, uh. or he'd make sure that, and, and he, and he never bragged. There's no braggadocio. There was no ego, you know, we see, and then there's a resurrection of that with uh, Captain America. Right. And so to, to the point of your question, I love a good muscle bound eighties actioneer as much as anybody. I think Commando is one of the greatest pieces of trash cinema that's ever been created. And I don't mean that as an insult, but there's something special about characters that you can aspire to be like. Cause I mean, if you look at like, you know, the villain in Commando, he's wearing chain mail and you're like, what the, f-? you know, <laughs> like why? But I know what you mean. It's like, you can watch that, put on that, put on predator and go, right, this is great. Two hours. I'll just kill some time. And then there's sure. films that you put on and you go, 
wow, that's amazing, right? I, I want to change my life. I want to be like this. Like I love the um, the Eddie transformation in Limitless, that you could go from mm-hmm. the lowest point of your life, struggling with a breakup, you know, not not completing a work, to suddenly some inspiration. I know he takes a tablet, but do you think films give a inappropriate message that transformation can be quick? How how did you guys start your own personal transformation journeys to, using these films? I, the, I mean, the nature of film is you only have two hours, so mm-hmm. it has to be quick <clears throat> unless we're talking about the, you know, Marvel cinematic universe where you can stretch it out over a decade, but uh, you don't generally get to do that um, because you can't plan on having an audience that shows up a billion dollars a pop for that long. Um, and so just, just by the nature of, of storytelling, we kind of need to do that, but that's, that's not just a film problem. That's, that's the nature of storytelling, right? You tell a story and it has to end, uh, life, you know, Jonathan often says, um, you know, like there aren't happy endings in life. There's like happy middles. Because you get to a happy place and then that ends and you're not happy again. And then you'll get happy again after that. And, you know, hopefully the happiness outweighs the unhappiness. And then we all presumably there, you could have a happy ending. Like if you die surrounded by family and you're happy with what you did with your life, like, well, but the the idea that like you reach this point, you meet the love of your life and you're happily ever after. And the remaining decades, right. Are just bliss is bullshit. And that, that's what Alan's referring to is, is we have cycles of hardship and cycles of prosperity and, and cycles of mm-hmm. happiness and cycles of depression and anxiety. And the, the key is to thrive as much as you can and to use your suffering as, uh, you know, Alan says you, you can never have too much empathy. Suffering gives us empathy if we don't get hardened by it. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy. So how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. So when we're watching films, should we be, you know, do you just go in and look at it and then think about it later on? Do you, would you agree that journaling is a good thing? You know, where you actually write down what made you laugh, what made you be inspired? How how would you advise somebody listening to start watching your videos, start watching films going forward to think, I'm not just going to look at this as two hours of fun. I'm going to look at this as two hours potentially of character growth or understanding of the world or myself in a better way a lot of therapists will tell you to journal and it's a great therapeutic tool it works for a lot of people i personally hate journaling (laughs) it's not that i don't see the value in it i just hate it i feel the same way about math uh and so i i i think i personally don't watch movies with a notebook um when we watch, I, I, I know Alan does. Um, when we're watching mm-hmm. for our shows, I'll, I'll watch them just to enjoy them. And yeah. then afterwards, I'll go in and start writing down my thoughts. And I might scroll through the timeline to find the moments that jumped out at me. But if you're watching our episodes or you're watching 
uh, and one of our episodes is about something going on in, in your life, by all means, go in like with questions or I, or I've seen fans journal and write notes. Uh, Alan, I have to share this with you. If you haven't seen it, one of our, I have, if you haven't telling you about it, it's going to be fine, but you have to see it. But she's done a whole cinema therapy journal with illustrations what? and different fonts awesome. and different sizes. And like, it's really super cool artistic. And I'm like, we should publish that and split the profits. Uh, wow. But I, I'm giving a very long-winded answer that's not going anywhere. Whatever works for you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry. Because, yeah, I mean, I watch films, and it's only later on I'll think, I'll say something, and I'll go, where did that come from? Oh, yeah, that's so – or you'll do something, or you act as – you know, you'll act in a certain way because of it. Mm-hmm. So, like, something I really wanted to do was to throw out some prompts and for you guys to say what you think are great films or characters or – you know examples of that so for example um you know when you did like accepting times as they are groundhog day for example you know fill in there mm-hmm. you had um examples of masculine men aragon is there yeah. things like is there people like um would you say tony stark's a great example of somebody going through maturity and a growth uh, you know like a personal development through the films uh, yeah, I mean, Tony Stark's arc is going from, you know, self-centered narcissism to, uh, I mean, not full, like, others-focused altruism, but, you know, pretty much. <laughs> like, yeah. his his whole story throughout the films, and especially in Avengers Endgame, is, you know, keeping what's mine, and then he still makes the sacrifice that's that he's needed to make. And I think he's a good example because he's a bad example. And by that, I mean that um, he's a believable he's, and relatable example. He's, yeah, he's, he, he's, <laughs> he's, he gets it wrong as often as he gets it right, which I know there are people who crucify him for that. But I'm like, oh, that's what makes it powerful because he keeps getting up. The, the one yep. thing Tony, the one thing Tony gets right across the board from the beginning of the first film, once he's in that cave and he, and he has that kind of paradigm shift, is that he's, he's going to dedicate his life to making things right and to helping people. Like his his overall life mission, he doesn't waver from. Yeah, his um, ideas about how to do it, you know, varying right. degrees of not great. And and he's <laughs> and he's blinded by his own. I've I've said this to Alan before. I've met a handful of geniuses in my life, and every genius I've ever met is an idiot or one in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. And he's blinded by his own hubris and his own. Uh, confidence in his own you know this is how i want to do things which is also something that he grows out of because he's definitely got the immaturity and you know he's like dating girls and being loud and obnoxious at the start and at the end he's selfless and he's helping his you know he saves everybody and right it's i like that it's like you know that's something you could show to people and say you weren't the same person that you were 10 years ago you know yeah. it's you've got that growth you've got that and it's a good way of showing people that you know, you can start as a dickhead. Um, you can grow into this amazing contribution to society. And what about things like people who are seeking redemption, people who are, you know, like imposter syndrome, things like that? Is there character arcs that you've seen that you think are great examples of these? Hmm. Oh, imposter syndrome or seeking redemption? I'm just sort of thinking of things like negative things, like seeking redemption. It, it was mm-hmm. something I was struggling to think of a, a good example. Uh, we just did one on Black Widow, and that's that's that our whole episode is on her trying to get the red out of her ledger and the, the atonement 
the atonement process of making things right. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of the, the great stories are redemption stories. Um, you know, you look at, you look at characters. Well, my issue is I, I have so many in my head that my brain's not slowing down enough to land on one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, when we're talking about seeking redemption, that's, that's most characters, honestly. <laughs> They're seeking redemption for one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I am having a tough time coming up. Do you have any thoughts on uh, imposter syndrome, like overcoming imposter syndrome, Jonna? Uh, other than, than uh, what's his Zephram name? from Cochran Trek? in uh, Star Cochran. Trek First Contact. Um, yeah. Because that was one I had thought about, like, you know, when he doesn't believe he's going to go on to become the the scientist that helps them be discovered and helps like, found the fe- the federation right yeah. yeah i mean for example three amigos. Like, yeah. oh there you go three amigos absolutely yep 100 <laughs> I mean, if you look at like um silver lining, you know silver linings playbook that was the first film i'd ever seen that really addressed mental health openly you know like that it didn't have like a sort of sub genre it was this is two mm. two people struggling with their mental health who find each other and help each other. And that was kind of like, ah, right. You know, it's, they were actually going into it. Um, like when I started the podcast, I was desperate to like meet like guys like yourselves who wanted more from life to do stuff. Everybody else I knew just wanted to go to the pub and get drunk. Whereas <laughs> I was like, I need to go and do stuff. You know, I was getting bored. I was living in a, I didn't really have great friends at the time. And so I looked at like Neo, you know, that journey of taking your, choosing your path and choosing your own destiny kind of thing. And it kind of, you know, I didn't think I was Neo, like bending time and all that, but it made me think, well, you know, I'm making my own path. I'm choosing the red pill. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. So there is that kind of thing. And it's, I mean, who, what about, um, like things like integrity? Oh, I can't speak today. Would you say that's Captain America? You know, yeah, but getting out of the MCU, um, I think definitely uh, in Lord of the Rings, definitely in Harry Potter, you have a lot of uh, doing what's right, even though people oppose you. Yeah, uh, there's the whistle. Uh, what, what was that? What was that movie with Russell Crowe uh, from like an Al Pacino where he is it the whistleblower? No, it's uh, oh, the insider, the insider. Yeah, hmm. uh, the insider is definitely. Uh, and then uh, concussion with Will Smith comes to mind. Um, mm-hmm. it's yeah, like... a lot of based on true story movies. Um, Forty Two, the Jackie Robinson story was really good. Um, I mean, if you look at like how film can change people, how it can adapt and stuff. But how do you think films change you guys in particular? Have you had any kind of things that you could attribute to watching films that? Oh, easily three quarters of my personality and my life choices are based on <laughs> film. So that's that's a not a good question for me. <clears throat> the biggest influence that film has had on my life is it's bonded me to other people. And I I do feel this kind of call to to help other people. And so film is the you know, the sugar. It's the it's the chocolate around the Flintstone vitamin. Uh I, I see the my passion for film is okay. This is this is how I do good, right? Um, mm-hmm. How films affect me personally depends on the film. I know that I once had a really rough week at school in graduate school, 
and I went to see Hot Rod in theaters and I felt so much better. No, just cause I, I laughed. I, I didn't stop laughing almost the entire film. And, yeah. and, and, and there's not a whole lot of great commentary in that film. I and mean, there's a little bit of a message, but it's mostly just, I felt it's my spirit. Silly. Yeah. And then uh, I hadn't seen Schindler's list until we did our episode for the show. And Schindler's list, I think has profoundly affected me forever. Yeah. Um, because I think is beautiful like, is the type of man, father, husband I try to be, like that sort of stuff. Like Goodwill Hunting was a great film. You know, it kind of opened up about mm-hmm. somebody who went on a journey, like when it's um, when they're sitting talking at the building site, and he said, "The best part of my day is when I go up and thinking you might not be there." You know, like he yeah. wants the best for his friend, even though he knows that's his life going ahead. He's willing yeah. to put in that, and you know, and it's a great like that it opens up that the the transformation you can get from going to see a therapist and speaking yeah. to somebody and being open and you know but what is this what is your particular friendship taught you about building strong connections with other people and you know you've got an amazing set a community who absolutely adore you but what have you what what's doing the show and looking at all these films taught you about building relationships and strong connections and making better friendships I know I, I, I think this is just a scra- scratching the surface, but we went to FanX last year, which is a comic convention or, or a pop culture convention in Salt Lake City. And we're, and met, you know, hundreds of people who enjoy the show and not just enjoy the show, but have had their lives touched or influenced in a big way by the show. And, yeah. you know, we loved hearing the people like you make us laugh. We watch you every week, but we got a couple people who, you know, what we're doing change their lives in a very positive way, or even in one case, save their life. Um, yeah. And I, I think Alan and I were already connection people. We were already, we highly valued friendships. We highly valued people. I think that's why we're doing the show in the first place, but it's given us a wider frequency, right? to reach and, and also to be touched by, you know, we hear people's stories or we hear people's insights and we're not, you know, we're not the experts up here just blowing smoke out of our arse. We're, we're learning from our fans as well. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned doing the show is not just that every movie is someone's favorite movie, but almost everyone is someone's favorite person or should be, Yeah, you know, Hmm. Um, or they're awful and maybe they wouldn't be so awful if they were someone's favorite person, you know, and that's not true across the board. I can think of a handful of people who I'm just like, Oh no, you're just actually terrible. But, <laughs> but most, but most people just, just need understanding and love and compassion. And then they're, they'll be willing to receive correction or feedback. That's very well put like because it's something when I see the, the interactions between you two, I think that's a friendship I'd love to have. You know, like that kind of the the jokes and the thing, but the bond is there. You can see how deeply you care for each other. I know you probably don't want to admit it to each other, but it's um, no, we do. Oh, we're it's, happy it's to. not even yeah. it's not even especially performative. Meaning we're hmm. pretty much the same when the cameras are off. We're more focused when the cameras are on. That is literally the only difference. <laughs> yeah, the, the only difference is we have a point that we're trying to get to. Other than that, <laughs> that's it. 
I mean, we like, don't even, yeah, we, we swear the same amount. We just edit it out for the show. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the behind the scenes, you know, like when you're showing like you're interacting and, you know, when you're making the thumb, like the thumbnails and stuff like that. And it, it's fantastic to see that you're still the same people off camera yeah. as much as you are on camera. But how has becoming fathers changed you? You know, you both got beautiful families, but has it changed you in any way? There was way? no transition for that question, man. You did. That, that was, was just, a, that was a hard oh, left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great behind the scenes. What do you think about fatherhood? What do you think about fatherhood? Well, uh, I mean, it's behind the scenes sort of thing. Well, behind the cameras, sh- isn't it? <laughs> True. Although our, our kids keep lobbying to get in front of the camera. We'll see if that ever happens. Um, <laughs> the, uh, f- how has fatherhood changed me? I, uh, it's it's hard to get outside myself and see how that might like what changes might have happened just because mm. they've been so gradual and I was not one of those guys that like you know my wife gives birth and I hold the baby and like there's an angel choir singing and like I love this <laughs> child I was like well here's a wriggling worm thing and then I didn't sleep for six months and I was like wow I hate this being a father totally sucks. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Yeah. It's look, it's not always for some people, some guys hold their, their baby and it's like magic, right? Not, not me. Um, I did by the time, like my last kid came around because then I was like, okay, I know where this is going. And like, I was like, Oh, but my first kid, I was like, what? Oh my gosh. Like someone's in, I'm entrusted with this. It's so vulnerable. And then yes, like the lack of sleep thing, because you want to be a good husband. So like as much as possible, you're going to be the one to get up. And even though you're not lactating, at least you can bring the baby to the lactation station and, you know, you can be the one to get out of bed. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, yeah. So it's, (laughs) it's a different process for everybody, but because of that, I've grown into being, I I hope a good father, like really slowly. And, uh, so it's, it's hard to sort of measure that, but like, just, I'm, I'm definitely more patient than I used to be. Jono will confirm that. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I am, uh, I think I'm more empathetic than I used to be, not just to my children, but to everyone, Mm -hmm. just because I have to. I have to spend so much time empathizing with people who make no damn sense. <laughs> to that end, like my answer to that question is um, fatherhood has made me more empathetic, more patient, more compassionate and all those things as well. It's also given me a really good idea of what I'm like at my best and what I'm like at my worst. Uh, yes. Wow. Because yeah. there, I didn't really have these opportunities before to have someone just like really get on my nerves or try to my patience. Is filled my... with rage. <laughs> yeah. Cause when you, they're not your kids, if it's just like somebody in the world and they're getting on your nerves, you're like, well, I can get up and walk away, but I can't like mm. walk away from my kids. And so, um, and so hopefully I'm, I know what the parameter, I know what I look like at my best and my worst and the worst hopefully doesn't get any worser and the best gets better, you know, cause uh-huh. I, I make a deliberate effort to make that happen. But yeah, I've had times where, I've snapped at my kids and I'm like, I couldn't believe that that was me, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or I haven't snapped at my kids is more often where it's, it's like kept inside. Cause I don't want us, I don't want them to feel that coming from me. And yeah. then I'm like, man, this is an ugly emotion that I've got inside. The the flip side of it, of course, is the, the joy and the love. Person and the... Than me, Cause I've, 
gotten to that point and it's just like this is what i feel all the time (laughs) (laughs) i but i i do know that it, it is curious to have someone in your life that we've talked about this in our uh, quiet place episode. You like to think you would risk your life for a stranger, but you don't know, or you yeah. can give your life for another person, but you don't know until that moment. But it's interesting. Like with my kids, I wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. Immediate. And, and that's a, that's a really powerful type of love to carry for somebody. And, you know, I also, generally speaking, really enjoy the company of my kids. Because mm-hmm. it's something, I mean, I'm an uncle just now to three. Um, my sister's got three kids. And I like the fact I can hand them back once they're being pain in their, you know, like once oh, they're oh, going yeah. mayhem and stuff like that. Being um, an uncle is so much better than being a dad. Like, I love being a dad. <laughs> being an uncle is 10 times as good. That's like, it's like when when I was looking at you having like, you know, you, your business partners, you work together, it's, you know, you're running a show, you lead a team of people. How do you juggle all that? How do you deal with <laughs> <Bad> like, <morally. laughs> lack of sleep and stuff like that? Because <laughs> I was like, I have enough trouble working, doing jujitsu and this, you know, I'm just like, how the hell are you guys keeping on? Do you mind dogging? if I use my analogy, Alan? Do you mind if Go I... For it. Get it. Cinema therapy is like the Millennium Falcon uh, in that it's always it, – it's bursting across this – you know, it's doing all these incredible things and you think, wow, that what an amazing ship. And these it's always – These maneuvers and the speed and wow. Yeah, and it's <laughs> secretly always on fire. It's secretly always about to crash and burn or they're secretly – well, more often it's like the moment where like something's fallen off and you got to fix it so the hyperdrive will work. Like we always get the hyperdrive working in time. And so mm-hmm. on the front end, the fans like see the show. And for the most part, there's a new episode every week and everything's running really smoothly. And behind the scenes, it's week after week of, oh, we barely got that done on time. We're getting better. But, uh, yeah. but it's a lot to juggle because Alan and I are, at least with this particular project, have been very ambitious. Um, and sometimes our reach has ex- has extended our grasp, but we're growing into it, you know? Yep. Could- it's something I struggle with. You know, I look back and I go, what the hell did I do back in the olden days? You know, like, because I, I can't imagine what it was like before my nephews and nieces were born. Now it's like, it's a completely different change. I can't imagine being a father and having somebody that I, relies on me. You know, that is just terrifying to think about. So yeah. to think you guys are... It's even more terrifying to live it. To see you guys create such amazing work and change so many lives, and the th- well, the thought of me letting somebody let me <laughs> reproduce with them—I don't think that's ever going to happen. Like, you know, <laughs> hey, that's where we—that's where we both were too, man. Like, huh? no one's ever going to want my seed, and then suddenly, oh my gosh. here we are. There's, there's a bunch of little seeds and deckers running around. Because I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's probably because like, it's probably because you went from woman to woman saying, "Hey, would you like my seed?" Like I kept telling you, you kind of build to that. Oh, <laughs> is that what I was doing wrong? Would you? Damn it! <laughs> no one's gonna want my seed. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes on farmers only and like completely misunderstands the website. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely the tagline of this for this episode of Donnie. Because like every time I sit down, I go, "How can I keep this general for the first one?" You know, before we get into the nitty gritty and stuff like that. And when I think back, just some of what we've discussed today, it's gone bloody hell. <laughs> like, you know, oh but, yeah, 
but that's we're almost I, always off the rails. You have no idea what, what gets edited out of every episode. But that's what I love about your show is like, yeah, I know behind the scenes there'll be such there'll be things that you'll be going like you won't be speaking to each other for an hour because of it. You know, it's or you'll be going off and going for you can't put that and it's I think that's good. <laughs> For people listening, um, you know the the three people that are probably listening. Like, how could how would you just you want people to start using your videos? Is there a kind of is there things you're most proud of? Is there videos you should think people should check out first? Uh, I think you should watch them while under the influence of psychedelic drugs. I think Absolutely. you're going to get a good choice. Psilocybin, say is there a good therapist? <laughs> uh, we don't really have a. There's very much a, a thing where once something goes out into the world, it belongs to the audience as much or more than those who created it. Yeah. We don't have a specific, here's how we want people to use our episodes. We have on our, on our membership site, we have a membership site where we go more in depth, uh, not just in, you know, the director's cut versions of the episodes are longer, they're meatier, they're funnier, they're more inappropriate. Uh, you know, they're also, but we also have something called strength builders where I take, Instead of just talking about the principles, I actually give you exercises. I give you homework. I give you things to do and apply when you've watched a film. Um, And so if you're looking for that, like that's the place to find that. The idea is that if you can't afford therapy or you want – this isn't therapy, but if you like support and you can't afford therapy or if you're in therapy and you you still like extra support, like we create that. As far as the actual episodes – Honestly, we should ask our our Discord – yeah, we have a, a Discord idea. server. It, w- it would be a good idea to have our, our, uh, like our diehard fans who are on our Discord server, like prescribe. <laughs> like, <laughs> are you feeling depressed? Start with these ones. Are you feeling anxious? That's Start a really with these good idea. Because uh, I was surprised when I went to your show and it was like, you know, heroes, villains, and then I was kind of like, oh, I, sh- I would have thought you would have had areas to go into. And I mean, every video I've watched, I get something from it and it's amazing. And I know that you've got your um, Cinema Therapy Heroes like subscription and stuff. Yeah, we should do I mean, playlists by to- by that type of topic. And people would be like, I'm anxious. What should I, what episode should I watch? Uh, on the hero site, we also have relationship courses that, that have a lot of specific application where it's yeah. the actual skills I teach in therapy. Um, but the idea is with the YouTube channel is that people can get for free uh some be- a lot of benefit is the idea like we we don't hold back yep i mean you think of the people that you're transforming you've done some amazing videos and it must be amazing to look back and see but what's been your favorite kind of viewer transformation or a story that's been shared with you uh it's it's hard to pinpoint a favor i mean the the most impactful we've had two or three people message us and say, um, you know, I was, I was literally like not contemplating suicide, but like, you know, I had the bottle of pills out or I had the, you know, I, like I was right getting ready to do it. Like I was starting to do it. And I thought about one of your episodes and I turned on YouTube and watched you guys and I didn't. Um, so those are obviously the most impactful, it's hard to say favorite about that. Cause it's like, you know, obviously we helped, but yeah, it, it, I don't want to favorite, you know, close to suicide. That sounds weird. No, <laughs> but the, the, the one thing we hear a lot that we really like is that we normalize and destigmatize therapy enough that people went and got help. Yeah. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, and obviously I'm not the therapist. I'm not seeing a dime of that, but just, and, and so it's not for that reason. It's not building my clientele, although I have gotten to clients because of cinema therapy, but it's just that people are, the, the whole idea is that therapy, one of the ideas is that therapists are people and yep. that you don't need to be afraid of the process. And so hopefully we normalize that. And, and, and they're not always going to get it right. <laughs> yes, if, that is if true. If a therapist gets it wrong, it, it's not never go back to therapy or this person is terrible. Just like, oh, maybe you need a different one. Maybe it wasn't yeah. a fit. Maybe you need mm-hmm. to work on yourself for a little bit or, you know, whatever. A therapist is a guide or a mirror, but mirrors have cracks sometimes or guides sure. have to stop and like, oh, we took a wrong turn near Albuquerque and we got to head back. The idea of a therapist is, you know, it's collaborative and anyone who's looking at, I'm looking for someone to tell me how to run my life is either going to be sorely disappointed because a good therapist won't do that or their life's going to be a shit show because a bad therapist will do that and will make their life into a shit show. <laughs> Man, there's a, there's a new show on Apple TV plus the shrink next door. That's Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. And it's literally a therapist who <laughs> takes over his client's life and moves into his house. We are going to watch this live. Yes, we are. That's brilliant. <laughs> so how could people keep in touch with you and contact you and, you know, go from there? Uh, best way to find us together is at therapy underscore cinema on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we're on Reddit as well. Um, and, and Facebook. Fa- we're, we're everywhere. We're on all the socials except TikTok. Uh, and then if you're looking for... Uh, me, I'm at Alan Seawright on all the stuff and Jono, you are, uh, mended light on, on YouTube is my, my, so Alan is telekinesis entertainment is his, his production company. And Mm. that's where his work lives. Uh, and then mended light is where I focus in more on like the therapeutic side of things. Yep. Um, and then we come together for cinema therapy. Uh, so you can also just find me on Twitter, uh, family expert 15. Well, that's it for another week, and thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.